Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Amy Black is currently teaching at Vicenza Middle School in Dodia, Europe South. She teaches grades six, seven, eight music classes. Her classes include band, strings, and choir. Amy received her Bachelor of Arts in Music Education from Whitworth University in Spokane, Washington. Her continued interest in music technology has influenced her studies as she works towards a certification in educational technology. Amy recalls two points of pride in her teaching career. One is seeing all of the leadership skills that are taught in the performance classes come to life. The other is a time when music teachers became her students. These native South African music teachers had received no formal music training and were required to start teaching music to the new government standards. Amy, along with a team from the University of Pretoria, had a week-long workshop with these teachers. She was an instructor and music technology specialist, training teachers in music software, basic laptop and mouse use, and recorders. Teaching life through music and creating lifelong learners has always been Amy's goal in her teaching. From being a classroom music teacher or a private piano studio owner to the executive director of the Bellingham Music Enrichment Project, she's always strived to work with students of all ages in their musical journeys. Amy believes that facilitating and modeling leadership qualities empowers her students to take the lead in their pursuit of knowledge and problem solving. Well, this week, my friends, I have a very uh, special guest, Amy Black. Uh, I met Amy back in January at a ridiculously cool event, uh, the European Music Educators Association Winter Conference in Vicenza, Italy. Without question, one of the coolest places I've ever presented. The city is amazing. Um, the uh, going to Venice beforehand was even cooler. Um, but meeting Amy and her husband, Tim, and seeing the incredible uh, school at Vicenza Middle School and learning a little bit about the Dodia system, um, I had to have you on the podcast. So Amy, thank you so much for agreeing to be here and welcome. Thank you, Jim. It's uh, I'm excited to, to be here. This will be fun. All right, cool. So um, for those of, uh, before we get into like what it's like to actually teach in, you know, in A, a different country, but B, teaching Americans in a different country for the Department of Defense, which is just a lot to wrap our heads around. I think it, when I was speaking with you around lunchtime, we, we were having yeah. a great conversation about your kind of journey as, as a music educator. And what I do with all my guests is, is really have you... Um, paint a picture for us and talk about, you know, how you got into music education, um, you know, all the way back to when you were in, in, in high school, middle school, whenever that bug hit you and said, I might want to do this. Um, and then how your career progressed to where you are today. Okay. Um, well, I would say probably fifth grade. Well, no, definitely fifth grade was right. when I decided, yes, I absolutely have to be a music teacher. This is what I will do for the rest of my life. I had a phenomenal 
music teacher that year and we did everything. We had a choir, we did musicals. I learned how to play the recorder. I learned how to play the piano. I mean, it was just the most well-rounded music program I'd ever been in. And at that point I was, I was hooked. Um, and so I proceeded in sixth grade to join band. So that was my first official uh, music class. Although I had diddled around with piano lessons when I was about seven, but quit. Right. So, uh, yeah, I was too young. Uh, and so, uh, you know, got through high school and said, I'm going to college. I'm going to be a music teacher and got into college and went, Oh, I don't know if I want to be a music teacher. Um, cause there's a, there's, it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be cracked up to be with all the, the music ed classes. Interesting. So I kind of, yeah, I kind of steered towards piano pedagogy uh, and I went back and forth between elementary music methods and elementary music and piano pedagogy. Um, but in the long run, I decided it was going to be music education for me. And so that ended up being my my final degree. I have a few, but that was my final one was music. Ed. Um, so K-12 was my certification, but I focused on elementary music um, with a choir as my uh, endorsement. But I was a piano major in college. Mm-hmm. And where, and so where, that, did, where, by the way, just where did you grow up? Um, well, started in Florida. Okay. Then um, my uh, we moved to Eastern Kentucky because that's where my parents were from, and my father was a pastor, and so we became missionaries there. Uh, so I went to college there for a while, and then eventually moved out to Washington State, where my oldest sister was and her husband. They were teaching at Whitworth College. And that's eventually where I got my um, college degree. So when you started teaching, did you start teaching in the States or did you immediately start going overseas? <laughs> um, Tim and I started in the States and it was, please God, anywhere but there. And of course, <laughs> you never say that because that's exactly where we ended up. We ended up in Idaho. Um, our first teaching gig was um, in, um, well, Nes- on a Nespers Indian Reservation. So in the Grangeville Kamii area is where we first started teaching. And then, and, and yeah, I just need to know how you got from Idaho to. <laughs> All the way to Italy. Yeah, yeah I'm so fascinated um, by it. Like what, um, what was the, what was the moment where you said, yeah. I, I think we need to go teach overseas? Um. Well, we'd ended up all the way over back into Kentucky, living near my parents, uh, and uh, Tim was at a community college, and I was not able to get a job. There just weren't um, job openings, Mm -hmm. and so I I wasn't able to get full-time work. My daughter was really young, so that was good. I was was able to be at home with her, but um, finally, um, they had some cutbacks in Tim's like, they're, they're cutting the music position at the community college, and what are we going to do? And so he just happened to have a friend whose mom had been a teacher in Dodia back in the 70s, I think. And so we just looked it up online and said, what is this thing, Dodia? Mm-hmm. I think it was called Dodds at that point. Yep. And um, that was in 2002. And 9-11 had already happened. Uh, So, you know, the world was already starting to change quite a bit. And so we just put our, filled out our little applications online. And 
my husband got a call in the middle of the night from Okinawa, Japan. And that wow. was our first duty station uh, was uh, Kadena Air Force Base. And so we were there for 12 years. Our kids actually grew up there and graduated from Dodia schools. Wow. But so after for, one year, we were hooked. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. So Dodia, just so our listeners know, is it Department of Defense Education? What is it, administration or authority? I don't know what the A stands for. Do you know? I'm going <laughs> to Dodia, Department of, Edu Department of Defense Education Administration. There you go. So basically, you are teaching the children of um, military families. Is that fair to say? Yes. Yeah. All right. So, awesome. So you, you're in Okinawa for 11, 12 years, and then you moved to Vicenza? Or I mean, because I noticed when I was speaking with the other teachers in the system, they seem to have like multiple, they, they've been to multiple places, which is super exciting to live in a, I mean, what's it like to, to live in Okinawa, but be teaching American kids? It must be really interesting. Um, it was, and it was one of those things where everybody would say, oh, you teach in Japan. Do you teach, do you speak Japanese? And it's like, exactly. well, <laughs> I, I know enough to be polite, it, um, but I teach Americans on an American base. And so I speak English almost all the time. Right. So it was really hard for me um, to learn the language because it's not an immersive process. We did try to, we lived away from the post. We tried to be involved in as many things as we could out in the community. But, you know, you're pretty much, um, you pretty much spend most of your time uh, speaking English and being on, you know, an Amer in an America, they called it like Little America. Right. For the lack of a better term, because you really are. There's movie theaters, there's stores, there's grocery stores, there's um, schools and arts and crafts and so, I mean, there's everything there for people uh, if they don't want to have to venture out because it can be kind of scary for some people. Absolutely. And and so how long have you been in um, in Vicenza? For those people that don't know, Vicenza is about a 40 minute train ride northwest of Venice, Italy. So uh, just for those of you geographically challenged as I am, that that's where uh, <laughs> that's where we're talking about. So how did you end up there? Um, well, we've been here for five years. Uh, Tim was working on his doctorate, actually, when we were in Okinawa, and he was burning the candle at both ends because sure. <laughs> he was doing an online degree uh, from Boston University. And, oh, he, cool. you know, his classes, his classes were, you know, at 1, 2, 3 a.m. And by the time it got to where he needed to start writing his dissertation, I said, um, it's time for us to uh, go back to the States and take a year off so you can get this done. And we did. And I started, um, I, I taught private piano for four years and uh, he, you know, and he worked in the, you know, the local schools. But after four years, he said, OK, it's time. Let's get back into uh, Dodia. And we ended up here in Vicenza. Very cool. So, um, for yeah. The, uh, yeah, when I went in there, I mean, you're on a military base, but it looks like any middle school that you'd see anywhere in the United States. So, you know, right around, you've got castles and vineyards and you've got the incredible cool. mountains in the background and you walk onto this base and you're like, this is really strange. This is just, and you walk into the school and there's all these American kids like, Hey, what's up? Or like, it was a very cool experience for me. 
thoroughly enjoyed it. So why don't you tell us about your music program at Vicenza Middle School? Um, okay, Vicenza Middle School is a smaller school, um, and so because of that, there's only one music teacher, which was unlike what I had when I was in Okinawa, and so because of that, I have to teach everything. Um, so I teach uh, beginning band, beginning strings, beginning choir, intermediate and advanced band, intermediate and advanced strings, intermediate and advanced choir. Wow. And at one point I was also teaching class piano and sixth grade general music. But <laughs> oh uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting it's because, you know, I was a, yeah, a, I was a piano maker and I played flute and I was a choir person, but, um, you, sometimes you're, you're, you gotta try to stay at least two steps ahead of the kids. Right. And so it, and I'm finding that a lot of the Dodia schools here, especially in Europe, are small. And some of them are seventh through twelfth grade for the secondaries. And so when you've got one teacher, you're you're teaching everything. You're juggling a lot. Wow. So you've got, I mean, do you have any time to prep? Or is it just like what you know, one kid after the one class after the other? <laughs> no, no. I mean, we have standard prep times because we are, you know, just like most teachers in the United States, we are part of the, the local teachers unions, which like um, OFT, AFT, FEA. Oh, oh, cool. So we, we do have our prep uh, as part of that, which is, which is good because I need it a lot. <laughs> I, 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 that's a crazy. And so, and your husband's at the high school? He is. Yes. Oh, he's right. got so, ninth grade. And again, he's one music teacher, so he's teaching it all as well. He right. also teaches, uh, yeah, like a general music class. Wow. So, um, you know, aside from the fact that the schools are small and you're doing basically everything, it, are there any other differences that you can that you can think of between teaching in the U.S. and teaching in Dodia? Uh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I think first and foremost for me uh, would be that you know with the military. Uh, these families rotate in and out sometimes every year to two years. Maybe they get to stay three or four years. So unlike, you know, you live in small town America and a kid goes through the same school school system, kindergarten through 12th grade, everybody knows everybody. And you can build a really strong program that way. But every time a kid, kids rotate in and in and out and move so much that it's like building a new music program. Every, every year, because every year, every year, you don't know who you're going to get and what you're going to get because you, you just don't know. I mean, that's the biggest difference. Um, but the kids are really they're super resilient because, you know, they've had to learn how to cope with moving around. They have to leave friends. They have to learn to make new friends and adapt to new communities or new countries. Um but the uh, I think another big difference, you know, in how sad or how positive it is, depending on which side of the coin you're looking at, that every one of these kids has at least one working parent and a roof over their head. Exactly. And that's really <laughs> very, very different than the United States. Right. 
Well, yeah. So, yeah, the I mean, the kids that I met were absolutely amazing, uh, you know, just like every other kid that you'd meet in the U.S. But what you just said is really important because, you know, I'm I am not a military brat, um, but I heard that term many times when I was sitting there um, when yeah. I was saying like, oh, you know, and what's your story? And many of the teachers, many of the music teachers that were at their conference identified as military brats, meaning that that's exactly how they grew up. Is that is that common? Um, I would say that most of the teachers you come in common with or are you come in contact with are either have some sort of military affiliation. Like mm. Tim actually was Air Force, my husband. Um, our kids, uh, we weren't in the military when our kids were born, but um, a lot of the teachers either have parents or spouses right. or were military themselves, active duty military. It's just it's a very different community. And um, I mean, for us, it's a very comfortable place to be. We feel like this is like who we belong. Your tribe. With <laughs> yep. our, yes, our tribe. That's actually, that's a very good way to describe it. So now we're going to, um, be, because when I talk to you about um, you and your program and, and, and your husband for that matter, we, you started telling me about all the stuff that you've done with technology over the years, what you're doing now. I would love for you to, before you, you talk about your own experiences, I'd love for you to tell me or tell our listeners um, what you think a role, what the role of music technology is in a music program. Cause in, in so many, you know, in the, the place that you're in is very unique. Um, so it might have a different role, uh, you know, than in a traditional, you know, thinking about a, a band program in Texas versus a band program of Vicenza. M music mm -hmm. technology just might be a little bit different. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I mean, definitely to start with, the the, the students are, they're digital natives. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> um, and so they their brains are just, they're wired for technology. And so there has to be a technological component in, in school, period. Um, our school, particularly, um, we actually are one-to-one. -one, and I think that most of Dodia is going to be going one-to-one -one with computers, one-to-one -one mm -hmm. laptops with students. Uh, so as far as, you know, music technology, uh, I really, I, it's so important for kids to be able to record themselves and listen, whether they sing or whether they play an instrument. And mm. so the type of technology that exists now for students to be able to do that is so much better than back in the day when I was using a cassette recorder, you know, that I love to tell those. <laughs> um, what? And recording, what? <laughs> you know, yeah. but uh, it's important because it's um, students need to have a way to hear themselves because the first time they hear themselves, especially singers, they, they absolutely cannot believe they sound like that because yep. you don't hear that in your own head. Um, but, you know, music technology really, it needs to enhance and, and support the teacher and be really engaging for the students in their learning of music, not just, um, you know, I kids are so into social media and things like that. And the one thing that we're trying to do is break them away from that side of technology and see how technology can help them 
in a way that is good for them and good for their learning, but not something that they feel like they've been at a computer for, you know, eight hours a day, because that's, that's not good either. So how did you get into technology? Because you were telling me some, you know, stuff that you've been doing. And I'm like, this lady knows what she's talking about. I'm like, what, what, you know, how did you get into music technology? And what types of things do you do with your students? Um, okay, well, I, I'll start this with a very, very quick. There were no computers in my high school. They right. did exist. <laughs> but I was in a small town USA, but I was very, very interested because my brother-in-law at the time worked for IBM. And so he was teaching me coding. Oh, wow. Um, you know, we're talking like basic. All right. right, right. <laughs> That's one of the, the basic. It, it really intrigued me. And I actually wanted to go into computer technology. That yep. was the way I really wanted to go. But music was already in my DNA. So it was like, okay. There was no music technology as far as degrees at the time. Mm -hmm. So I went ahead and went with music. But then after I started teaching and around 2003, 2004, Dodia was offering uh, teachers to write grants for laptops for their classroom. So the first year they did it, Tim wrote, my husband wrote and received the grant and he got laptops and set up a music tech lab at his high school. Oh, cool. So the second year I got to be outdone. I was like, well, I'm going to write the grant the second year. And I got the laptops for my classroom. And so then I started researching every program and software that was out there and just started, you know, getting it all loaded on my computers because I, I just, was like, okay, I love music. I love technology and computers. How am I going to marry this? And these were the days when Dodia was just learning how to offer music technology classes. So we were kind of uh, frontiers, beta testers right. uh, for that program for Dodia. And um, a lot of the programs that they now have bought and use uh, regularly, at least over the years, I should say, because programs come in and out were ones that we, we tested, uh, early on in the program. And so, uh, I can just continue to take lots of computer classes after that, uh, to just really try to keep stay up with the latest and greatest. So I could stay ahead of my students because really they, like I said, they're, they're digital natives. And I needed to make sure that I was uh, on the forefront of everything that was coming out. Right. So oh, that's, that's great. Kind of where it started. I mean, there's a whole lot more after that, but th I think you get the general idea. <laughs> I do. Um, so, you know, I know that, so Dodia um, had, uh, you know, a couple of different technology grants. And I know that there's a whole bunch of software that you guys use um, with your kids. What, what specifically do you do with your students? I mean, you teach literally everything in that middle school. So, so what kinds of things are you doing with them? What software, um, you know, what, what goes on on a daily basis with kids in tech at Vicenza middle school? Yeah, well, um, <laughs> D all of the above, the kids walk <laughs> in with laptops. They, they okay. walk in with laptops. We use right now we're using the Google platform for our classes and classrooms and assignments uh, so that first and foremost is where everything goes, regardless right. of what you teach. Um, when they walk into my room, 
Um, there's a lot of options, but the things that I use the most, um, I do love Sight Reading Factory. Yeah. Um, that I, it, It's just phenomenal. And I use that with my choir so much so that they're getting so good at sight reading. It just I, it really prepares them very well to uh, to the next level. And right. that's super important. Um, currently, we use what used to be called smart music, but now mm. I believe it's called make music. Uh, and that has predominantly been something that I use only with my instrumental right. students and primarily it's been banned um, because <clears throat> the books that we use are also available. And I, I usually try to pick literature that's available in that. So that way I can set up how students practice yep. um, and give them assignments based off of, you know, this many measures or this phrase, um, you know, put a deadline on it. It helps them gauge, you know, their learning and their practice at home. Uh, then they can record and, and hear themselves and get uh, some sort of a rating. Um, right now, I don't often use the rating. Uh, per, and the major reason why I don't use the grading system with that is because there's so many um, things that can go wrong that can give a child the wrong score. Yep. yep. <laughs> For instance, you know, hey, I don't have timpani at home, but I'm going to be using, uh, you know, pots and pans. So obviously, <laughs> music or make music's not going to hear that correctly. Right. Or the internet might, like, for instance, I live up in the mountains and I'm literally having to stand right next to my internet box to have a good reception. But if kids don't have good reception, you know, it's it's not going to be a good recording. Um, I've used Flipgrid and Seesaw, um, and that's predominantly for my choral students because I want them to record themselves and see what they look like because yep. we need to look at. And, of course, with beginning band, I do that as well because it's let's look at your embouchure. Let's look at how you're shaping those vowels, and you can do that in a video. And then I like the fact that they can submit those, and I can look at them, and I can at on my leisure and then give them feedback in addition to the fact that they get something that they can look at um, and see and hear themselves recorded as well. Those right now are the biggest things that I use the most often right. in my um, program. So it's really just to enhance and, uh, you know, build different skills, uh, build individual musicianship skills, certainly with sight reading, um, and performance, yes. you're it, it, you're using technology in in my opinion exactly the way it should be used, um, which is for you know hey I've I'm I'm one teacher I've got all these kids and all these different things and I need help and I can't get to every single kid yes. um, I can't give into individual instruction to every single student every day it's impossible. Mm -hmm. um, and these yeah. tools are are helping you out and that's a it's just great um, it's great to hear. Uh, so yeah, it's, um, when I was out there, uh, with you guys, um, I was talking about, this was, this is a funny side story, Amy, and it really doesn't have to do with, uh, anything else. And I just remember the kids that were there because there were a couple of kids who just, I still remember, I think one of them was a bass clarinet player. She was adorable. Um, but oh, I, yeah. was, I was talking about podcasting and I was talking about chat GPT with these kids. So this, this little girl from, uh, with this bass clarinet 
when I said your kids are already using this thing that her eyes lit up like don't tell anybody. Um, so you're right. The, the, the kids are digital natives and often they know all of this yeah. stuff before we before we you know, I was talking about, oh, kids love podcasting. Oh, yeah. And a lot of the teachers were like looking at me like, I'm not so sure you're right. And all these kids were like, oh, my God, that's all we listen to. So, yeah, your thoughts well, on the digital natives are right on. Absolutely. And I will just we'll just put a plug in for my the Triam Music Honor Society sponsored by NAFME. Yeah, <laughs> those were my, those were mine and Tim's Triam kids there. Um, and, you know, those are the best of the best kids. But I was I just didn't happen to be in your podcasting um workshop because I had to go to a different one but all of my, my all the kids were in that podcasting workshop and yep. I came back and they were they literally were meeting me halfway down the hallway oh my gosh Miss Black we have to do podcasting they were screaming at me oh, they were great. so excited by that that workshop that you done and I have to admit I haven't done anything with it yet. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm sorry to, you know, like add one more thing to your overflowing plate already. But you're, I just wanted to say your Tri-M kids were absolutely awesome. And and I, it, it always you. makes me smile when you see actual kids that are doing great things. So you've got a great program oh. there. Thank so, you. Um, what, you know, I, I'm just interested about, um, I, I know that I, I, I always say I'm not going to mention it, but the, the Dodia thing is is a yeah. different situation and that is like you were in Italy during the pandemic and as we all know um Bergamo oh, yeah. um, was one of the most hard hit devastating places and you're not that far um from nope. it. how how did the <laughs> pandemic affect your school and the Dodia schools in general and and how has your program kind of bounced back from it excuse me um well you know we went into lockdown in uh, March of 2019, no, it might have been 20. sooner than that, but it was it was maybe it was February 2019, yeah. and we went. You know, we had four days notice, and it was like you, every teacher needed to be um, perfect and know how to do online <laughs> teaching. <laughs> We, and this is when we had to, you know, literally we had the four days that the kids had off, we were in training nonstop for yep. four days. We trained on everything about synchronous, asynchronous, Google Classroom. And um, it, it was really fast. Of course, I was eating it up because I was like, yes, technology. I, <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited about it. But then I realized, oh, we can't make music together live, mm. and and all of us, and then all of a sudden we're in. Um, we we didn't we used uh, Google Meets. We didn't use Zoom like I know a lot of uh, schools did. We used Google Meets, and the kids were pretty excited at first. And it was like looking at you know, uh, for those people who are old like me, you know, and saw the Brady Bunch. It was like looking at the Brady Bunch, yep. you know. Um, but then after you know, about, I don't know, a month, maybe at the most into it, all of a sudden, um, all of these groups started popping up on Facebook, you know, for music teachers teaching online, all of this support. And it was really great to see the music community coming together and sharing so many ideas. And then the next thing that happened was 
all of these music companies like Music First just saying, hey, by the way, um, we know that you guys are struggling, so we're going to let you guys use everything for free. Yep. And it was it, that was a godsend because we were able to then keep our students engaged, learning, um, and and not have to pay for these uh, these products. Uh, it, it was wonderful. I did take advantage of um, oh, and I can't even think of the name of the program. Oh, Soundtrap. Yep. Uh, for our for our concerts, so we 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 did do concerts and. Um, we use Soundtrap and I, I laid down, uh, you know, we laid down all the, the, the master tracks and the kids recorded themselves individually and then, you know, mixed it. And then what I did is I, I videotaped them with their sound off, <laughs> <laughs> pretending like they're playing. Yep, and then yep. I put it together and then had this big end of the year virtual concert with um, using Google Slides. Uh, I had my music uh, my choirs, we even did something where everybody submitted videos and I had a really talented kid who was in video, uh, a video tech class who was also in choir and he put the video together for us of everybody singing, uh, sing, sing, right. sing, sing, sing. And, um, and I had a lot of teachers and families that participated in oh, that because, cool. oh, it was so much fun. Um, but I will say that it was it was very overwhelming because um, not being, you know, not knowing how to do that. I ended up working 12, 13, 14 hours a day. Absolutely. Sitting in front of a computer and uh, it, it was, it was overwhelming. Yeah. So flip side, how did we, how did we come back from that? Well, I will say, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I know that lots of music programs all over the world, if not every music program uh, suffered community programs, churches, school programs, because kids just, you know, they're like, oh, well, if, if we're not going to get to do this, then I just don't really want to sign up for the class. Right. Um, you know, and you, you, your beginning band and orchestra kids, you know, they missed out on a lot of that in-person uh, instruction. And so it was like, uh, it, again, building from scratch all over again. Uh, and, you know, we were in person that fall of 2019 and just trying to figure out how are my kids going to be able to make music safely. Right. So I enlisted lots of parent volunteers because there were no masks for band students at that time. Right. And we prototyped one and we, I had, four seamstresses, volunteers from the community, and we made bell covers. Wow. We made uh, we made masks. Um, I even made face shields for my um, choir students that kind of they you kind of look like a like yep. a beekeeper. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so that they had something all the way around them completely protecting them. Uh, and so that was fun. But I, I said we're gonna do this. And uh, we followed the, you know, the guidelines that NAFME right. had all those, all the aerosol, aerosol studies that came out. Um, we were following all the guidelines. And I, I just said, we have to do this. We have to make music. And fortunately, I had really supportive administrators that said, if you're following protocol, and then you can do it. But that wasn't the case at every school. No, I know a right. lot of students didn't get to make music that fall. 
Well, and, and I was just thinking while you were saying that, if there was ever an advantage to having such a highly transient population, um, you know, that was, did that, I, you know, having kids, you're, you're trying to build a program, but you said earlier, like it's starting mm -hmm. over every year with brand new kids. Um, mm -hmm. it, if there was a silver lining to any cloud, it might have been it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, exactly. You're exactly right. right. I mean, it's something that I'm already used to doing right. anyhow. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's I can't imagine. But so I, I have two more questions for you, Amy, because I just looked at the clock and I, I want to make sure I get them <laughs> in. The first one is is advice. So what advice would you give to other music teachers who are thinking of incorporating music tech into their programs? And And it could be now that the pandemic's over and some people are thinking, well, I don't need this anymore. Um, you know, just based on what we what you talked about earlier, what, what advice would you give to uh, teachers? Um, number one, research. Number two, sign up for all the free trials and <laughs> test everything out. Um, seriously, every product you can get your hands on, yep. test them all out and and figure out which one or ones, which ones are going to be something that you will be able to use in your programs because it's going to be different for everybody. Absolutely. And then, um, and then just practice and really just use it a lot before you ever introduce it to your students, because speaking from experience, <laughs> <laughs> If you introduced something that you're not really sure how everything works, um, everything that can go wrong will, yep. and then you know you'll be uh, you'll be putting out fires. Yep. And that's really not. And then that makes it not fun. It's like, oh well, I just won't use this because it's going to be more of a hassle. When in reality, if I just spent the time getting to learn it and know exactly what everything was about it, then introducing it in a way that like every teacher should teach your students how to use something. Don't just say, here's a link, ready, go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> kids do figure things out eventually, but in the meantime, you are putting out fires. So that's, that's seriously, you got to be, you got to be four steps ahead of your kids. That's, that's very, very good advice. I love the, um, thought of try everything. Uh, and, and what I Absolutely. often tell, which, which sounds um, heretical coming from somebody who sells software for a living, um, that yeah. don't ever listen to a salesman, you know, make sure that <laughs> you try don't try it for yourself. Ask colleagues, yeah. ask another school, what are you doing? And how is it working for you? Um, because yeah. again, every program is different. Every, every learning style is different. There's some software you know, it's like the old finale Sibelius debate, you know, and somebody would say, well, which one would, which one would you recommend? And I would say, I'm not going to even come close to recommending. You need to try them both out uh, because if I recommend yeah. Sibelius and you hate it, it's probably because your brain is more suited to the way finale works. So it's a, it's very good advice, Amy, that you just gave. I love it. Wow. Uh, I, so I, I like that. Yeah, it's it's super important because it's like, you know, that's why you take a car on a test drive. You know, if you just listen to the car yeah. salesman, you'd walk out with a car with every bell and whistle on it and probably drive away going, did I really need this new, you know, uh, Maserati exactly. with all these tires rather than the Yugo I came in to buy? 
Uh, anyway, that, that's great. That's uh, so one last question for um, you, and it's the magic wand question. And that is, if, oh, you, okay. if you could wave a magic wand and have music technology or something that music first does uh, that it can't do now, what would it, what would it be? Well, I mean, music first <laughs> has so many, so many uh, platforms. Uh, and so it would be hard to say any one thing. So I'll just make some general comments uh, that, that could be about any particular software. The, I think um, first and foremost, at least for me um, and for a lot of secondary teachers, you know, middle school and high school teachers, um, repertoire is going to be key. Um, access to you know, lots of method books and solo and ensemble literature and band and choir literature. I know choir literature is a little more challenging right now um, for a lot of platforms that, uh, I shouldn't say difficult. Uh, what I'm saying is there's more band literature on most platforms yep. than there are choir yep. literature. I'll put it that way. Um, so that that's one thing. I know for me, um, being a choir teacher, um, you know, using make music and other things uh, in the past with the recording device and right. the ability to uh, grade, you know, the the algorithms and the AI that can, you know, can give a student a rating, uh, you know, arbitrarily or I, I really would love to see that with choir and maybe it exists, but it's so much harder um, maybe for the programmers. Mm. I don't know. I think that that's probably on the forefront if it's not already in the works um, because choir students aren't getting the same kind of feedback as instrumentalists um, because there's so, there's so much more to it. I know you've got, you know, you've got pitch and rhythm really when you're looking at instrumental um, if you were going to look brass bones basics yep, yep. and with choir, with choir, you've got pitch rhythm, and then you've got the component of lyrics. Yep. Um, and so then you would have to be, you know, then, then it has to be listening for, for lyrics. And so I know that that must, I'm not a computer. I, I don't write. It's probably <laughs> not that code. far away though. It's probably not that far away at all. And so that's definitely something, um, that I would, I would say would be really important. And just last, just something that's really engaging for the students, just I, I something, I know they love their games and I love the concept of gamification for learning. I really, I love that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but something that's engaging that doesn't always necessarily have to be a game. Right, right. Right, I don't right. know what that would be or what that would look like, but just some things that would be engaging for students and not boring. Um, so, yeah, keeping ahead, keeping ahead of the kids is really hard because it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all you have to do is read the reviews that kids write on Reddit, and you and if you're a programmer oh. or you run a music software company, just go to Reddit and see what kids say about your stuff. It's very good. Anyway. Oh, brutal. <laughs> anyway, Amy, it has been a delight to speak with you. Thank you, you very much. You, you just got back from an honors uh, concert festival and, and you took time out of the, your day to speak with me. So I thank you. 
um, fascinating uh, musical education life you have there. I look forward to uh, hopefully running into you next year uh, at the next EMEA conference. But until then, keep you and your husband keep on doing great things. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I hope to see you also. I think we're going to be in Stuttgart next year. Oh, very cool. Uh, you don't have to yeah. twist my arm to do that. Uh, thank you so much, Amy. You take care. Thank you. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.